Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I have the distinct on. I told you season four was all about the legends and the amazing people I was bringing onto the show this year. And we got no, no, no one, well, I should say no one, but like he's basically ranks above like one of the greatest legends in direct response for me. And that is none other than Mr. David Garfinkel. Um, David, thank you for being here to start with. That's incredible that we're actually finally doing this. But just to give you guys a quick background on my... Uh, how do I put this? My stalkership of the one and only Dave Garfinkel. Um, I've been stalking this guy's work since I was six, since I was sixteen. So like twelve years, I've been reading his copy, and we've been friends on Facebook for a little while. And obviously, I see his posts. I was on Warrior Forum, got a lot of his ads sent to me there, and I just literally love everything David does. And he's probably one of the few copywriters out there that transcends both being able to be an A-list copywriter and an A-list teacher very few people can do both like he coaches you and he teaches you and he writes amazingly himself so it, he's a trifecta of awesomeness so i'm very pleased to have you on the show today thank you i always thought of it as a perfect storm myself but i like trifecta a lot better <laughs> perfect storm works trifectas work it's basically a it's a rule of threes that is that's, true yeah it's yeah. always the three so david wow so first of all just having you here is incredible um you're in california right now correct Yes, San Francisco, as a matter of fact. That's pretty yeah. cool. So I, I just curiously, I have, a, I have a question on this. Why do so many copywriters like end up in L.A. and end up in California in general? I don't know. Um, is it a good I, weather? I get, well, it, it's, it's the weather. Um, San Diego has probably some of the best weather in the world, but there are other places that have good weather. I think it's... It's probably uh, the permission here, the social permission to to do something that is really despised and frowned upon by large numbers of people and and still be, you know, okay about it. I mean, uh, I remember once I was looking for a new girlfriend. I'm not now, by the way, I'm very happy with <laughs> the relationship I have. so, you know, the, the, the hundreds of hot women on your podcast that thought this was an invitation. It's not. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Th thousands of women listening. Thank you. But, yes. Please get the number of them. Yeah, tens of that. Let's make it millions. millions. So um, there, there was, uh, I, I did something on an online dating site and a woman, okay, um, number one red flag I missed, uh, she had just gotten divorced. Number two, red flag, she was a lawyer. And number three, red flag, which since I love their products, I still have trouble seeing this as a red flag. She worked for Apple. Uh, we, we had a date, and she, she said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, um, I'm an internet marketer. And so she makes the most disgusted look on her face you can imagine. She says, oh, you're a spammer. And uh, I, I knew that this date wasn't, you know, going very well and the relationship probably doesn't have much of a chance of lasting. But um, nevertheless, that doesn't matter. I mean, in California, it's it's like all of these silos, all of these niches. And, um, you know, people, you know, America is a very creative, free place, but I've, I've lived in the Midwest. Um, my father's from the Midwest. I went to college in the Midwest. I'm telling you, that's more about standard, normal, previously accepted things. And out here in California, you can innovate 
You can even fail. That's okay. If you give up trying, then you need to move to the Midwest where, you know, things are normal. <laughs> but um, so that's my guess. I mean, I don't know. I've never thought about that before. It's a great question, but something that's my just, guess. Something just came up, but like something you just said right now that really makes me giggle and laugh is uh, there's a comedian called Daniel Tosh who did this yeah. bit a while ago, which was like, you know what? I, lo I love, um, people say, why would you live in California? It was like, because I like, uh, he was like, I like seasons too. So I got rid of the crappy ones. So. <laughs> That's a good one. And he's yeah. Like, yeah. You, you can't under underestimate the weather, but I mean, right now it's cold and rainy and windy out. And, uh, yeah, you know, the, the weird thing is California is very good at marketing. So, you will never see a picture postcard um, from San Francisco, you know, with, you know, an umbrella being turned inside out as a person's <laughs> trying to stay on the ground on their feet. You know, uh, we, we do a good job of making people think that it's heaven, you know, that's that's incredible. It so is. But back to that thing that Tosh said that really made me laugh, just not only the whole seasons thing, but it was just like if you <laughs> California's where you, you basically come out as a comedian to actually f find your feet or writers find your feet. If you when you give up, you just move back to the Midwest. That is essentially what it is. That's the place where you go that, you know, <laughs> go to hurricane seasons. That's where you end up. I, I think that's more true in L.A. San Francisco is is more of um more of a cre big creative casserole. Yeah. You know, if, if you look at the last 50 years of innovations, whether it's you know, credit cards or dungarees, as they used to be called, which are now called jeans or Levi's, um, or, you know, most of the advances in psychology, and not to mention all the tech stuff, it all comes from the Bay Area. There's something about this place that just invites and um, accepts innovation and all the weirdness that comes with it. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I th I would I would get I would probably bet a crap not bet everything I have and more that the majority of the reason that the startups are there is because it's actually so socially accepted that hey, I'm going to Burning Man this year and I'm a CEO of a company and everyone's like, yeah, me too. I'll see you there on the weekend. Like, right? I mean, else is kind of like really. About Rex Tillerson, not for very long, but can you imagine? And he was the CEO of, they were always sort of jogging for number one in the, you know, global 1000 list. Can you imagine him going to Burning Man? I mean, really, can you? In his early days or now? I don't think I could ever imagine him going, but I can imagine if he was there, what kind of breakthroughs he would have would be kind of interesting. Yeah, um, right. I mean, you, you might be able to, to get like... Um, brain neurotropics at an Exxon mobile station so that you could fuel your brain as well as your gas tank, right? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? So something I'm really curious about with you, Dave, is like, how did your journey start in direct response? Well, I was a journalist, uh, and San Francisco was the pinnacle of my journalistic career, which ended 34, 33 years ago. And, uh, so I went out to, you know, start my own business and I finally came up with a product that I knew would, um, you know, make me so rich that I'd never have to work a day in my life again. And this was a product, it was an audio tape that I would sell for 20 bucks. So how many would you have to sell to never have to work again? 
a million, 10 million, a hundred, I don't know, but I knew everybody needed this. And it was called referral magic, 17 ways to let your clients do your selling. Because once people had this information, their businesses would run like perpetual motion machines. This is called young and foolish, right? Uh -huh. But at, at the time, <clears throat> I, um, Bless you. Yeah, thank you. I, I thought that, uh, I, I had it. And so I produced the tape and I didn't really know how to market it. I, I could sell it if I could get someone on the phone. And from my journalism background, I knew how to get PR. So I got all kinds of press coverage, but that didn't sell tapes. And one day a friend of mine got something from a friend of his, Gary Halbert had offered six gift subscriptions for three months. He had little coupons uh, a person could send in to send. Anyway, this is through a chain of friends. I saw my first Gary Halbert letter. And he wasn't talking about copywriting per se. He was, who knows, you know, Gary would talk about all kinds of things. Pretty and much. I, start, <laughs> I, I started reading it and, and I, I was shaking my head like, what the fuck is he doing? I, I, you know, I, and I, I read it, oh, I must have read it 20 times. And I, finally, my decision is, I don't know what he's doing, but I want to know what it is and I want to know how to do this. And so I subscribed after the, uh, after the three months was over. And then, um, you know, it, this was 1993, maybe. And there was a terrible hurricane in Florida, Hurricane Andrew. Mm -hmm. And Gary held a seminar. It was a free seminar um, in Key West. Uh, the only stipulation was at the end of the seminar you had to write a check to the Red Cross for the hurricane victims for the amount you thought the seminar was worth and at the time I wasn't doing too well financially but I scraped together you know found you know change between the cushions of the couch and got on a plane actually brought a buddy of mine who's a mailing list broker we bunked you know we saved a little money on hotels that way and and we went to this thing, and man, I mean, you know, that was where I met Carlton, mm -hmm. um, David Deutsch, Carl Galetti, Dan Kennedy, uh, Ted Nicholas, and Gary. And I probably met Bond and Kevin then, but I think they were, what, three years old or something. <laughs> no, nah, they were a little older than that, but... Um, yeah, I was going to say, I was three at that point. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that um, they're a little older than you, but Just so... It's just a little, so, I mean, that, that really got me on a path. And, and then, you know, that was when the deal was sealed. That's, that's when the door closed and locked behind me. I couldn't go back to not knowing what this was or doing it. And so I, I just worked my ass off. I did everything I could. But the interesting thing was within, like, so it took, it took me a while. I had this sales letter, which made $40 million dollars actually over the course of eight years because it brought in recurring clients for a, a specialized travel agency. And so I, I knew that there was, you know, a lot of fortune to be made with direct response copywriting. But the interesting thing is people started asking me to teach and to coach them. And as you can see, I kind of like to talk. And <laughs> as, as you probably know from my podcast, I like to teach. And so I thought, well, why not? You know, so um, <clears throat> that that all 
culminated around the year 2000 when I came out with my first product, which may still be available. I don't know. It's It was called Killer Copy Tactics, and things just took off from there. That's incredible. So something I want to like jump on right now is your podcast more than anything else, because you are producing, obviously, I think my friend Nathan Frazier actually goes ahead and does he produce or does he help get that out? I don't know what the Oh, he's is. the producer. He's, he's the, the producer, producer, absolutely. Quick shout yeah. out to my friend Nathan. Good dude as always. Um, but something I really love is the fact that it's it's strange because my my iPhone doesn't let me uh, download podcasts anymore because I felt the data bank so quickly. So I have to, I have to listen to them online. And I got to the point where I've just gotten so lazy. I just check Fraser's um, Fraser's timeline or your timeline. And it says new podcast. I was like, play. <laughs> it's- yes. We, we write those posts especially for you and people like you. Yeah, that's always good. I always thought they were very personally, like, you know, hey, Adel, read me. I was like, yeah, you always do. Um, but something I love about your show is how they're educational, but they're relaxed. And something I want to urge other copywriters out there, don't make this mistake that I made, because I, I did this for years, and then I screwed up, and I started hitting the bottom of the well, and the only way I got myself back out was by doing this, um, don't get comfortable thinking you know everything about what you're doing. Because um, when I listen to your show, I always pick up a new a, a new lesson or something I've forgotten and I'm reminded of, and I have to apply it right away. And it's so interesting how very few people ever even do that, at least that I know as copyright, you know, when they get to a certain point, they stop learning. Um, but I definitely do know, like, the greats like yourself, like Jay, like everyone, they constantly go back and reread and re-listen and do different things. So I want to thank you for that more than anything. But my, oh, Thanks, yeah. thanks my, for saying that. Oh, for sure. It's amazing. It's a great show. I still need to, like, submit my review for it. Now, one thing I did want to ask more than anything was, how do you actually come up with the topics of what you're speaking about? Do you actually go out there and know what's up that a lot of people have asked you because you've taught so many people over the years or is it just a case of whatever comes up someone said something you're like oh yeah i'll do a show about that or do you have like a set list in your mind um yeah a combination of those things um i believe you know our, our most recent one which i've been getting rave reviews on um probably more than anything else except the one about bullets it's it's about increasing perceived value that was nathan's idea i mean you know nathan brings a lot to the podcast he really does and um well the the most important thing is not the topics but the approach um he's the only person who ever came up with this for me um he, he customized a content strategy for me, which is to take a narrow topic and dive deep. And I know a lot of those topics. Sometimes I'm on a mentoring call with a client and they'll ask me about something and I'll give them the best answer I can. And I'll say, you know, I bet a lot of people are wondering about that. And so I'll develop a whole podcast. But, you know, um, full disclosure, open kimono, um, oh, I, I'm, I'm wearing some of those Japanese Speedo briefs, so you don't have to unsee that, right? Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, Nathan, Nathan is closer to this market. You know, as a marketer, I should, you know, know my market, be, but I can't. I mean, I'm, I'm the person teaching my market. How can the teacher really know what is in all of his students' minds? 
Um, I mean, if you know, it, it, I think it's a cultivated form of schizophrenia if you can do that. But um, not I'm, my uh, issues are different. But, but Nathan so comes up with ideas. Sometimes some of my clients come up with ideas, and and some of my listeners um, often, you know, the. The, the best ideas in the world and the best ideas in business and the best ideas in marketing and the best ideas in copywriting usually come from a problem somebody couldn't solve. And then you come up with a solution. And I mean, that's what I do all day with clients, right? They, they don't come to me to say, Hey David, I just did a perfect job on this and I'd like to just, you know, open up my safe and take a large shovel of money and send it to you so you can pat me on the head and say, hey, you did a good job. It doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. Um, oh, usually people come to, <laughs> isn't it, though? Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, usually they have a problem. And, and you know, if, if Claude Hopkins lays out the answer to that problem in Chapter 3 of Scientific Advertising, they're probably going to be able to figure out the answer themselves. But... Often it's a new problem or it's a new twist on an old problem or they don't really know what the problem is. They just know that they're hemorrhaging money or that copy. Oh, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I'm, I've, I'm, tomorrow I'm going to be doing a critique for a guy who um, had somebody write his uh, sales page for his services. But I'm going to keep this very vague because I keep all of my Obviously, clients confidential, yeah. right? But he has a, a personal services page and it was written uh, about um, 10, 12 years ago, I think he said, by somebody that followed the style of a famous copywriter. I, I won't mention who and please don't guess out loud. Nope. And 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 so I, I looked at that and I said, you know, mm, uh, and, oh, and he was getting good response, and now he's not getting good response. And he lives in the Washington, D.C. metro area, which, you know, can you imagine living there right now? I mean, it, it's like under the sword of Damocles, right? It's like yep. you don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know if our taunter-in-chief is going to taunt the North Korean leader into proving that he can actually deliver an ICBM with a nuclear tip. Uh, you know, across the ocean. I mean, really. It, and, and so this, the, the way this sales page, it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's like a Hunter Thompson kind of thing. It's like, a it's like a, a ferret on meth, right? It's, it's like, and th that's, that still might work in, in some rural areas in Missouri and um, Mississippi, but you know, D.C., they're overeducated. Um, they take their emotions and they put them in a gun safe, right? Yep. And then they then they forget the combination. And I know because I grew up there. That's why I came to California to unlock the fucking gun safe, okay? You want to know? There's your answer. All right, all right, we can finish the interview. Uh, so um, I said, no, you need to take a very different approach. And... Um, he couldn't see it. This guy's really good at what he does, but he's not a copywriter. He hired somebody else to write it. He has no clue what's wrong with it or what's right with it. He does no numbers very well. And, and while his business is doing well, he's not getting much from 
uh, the organic visits to his webpage. He has a lot of traffic and, you know, a declining number of conversions. So, you know, we're, we're going to say, okay, so if you have a civil service job or you're a government contractor or you're a lobbyist or you're a, let's say, a former model and fashion PR person who's out looking for work now and you need to get in slightly better shape. Uh, I, I didn't mean Hope Hicks. I, that was just a hypothetical example. Of course. Um, um, what's going to resonate with you? Um, and boy, the, the, the way the, the web page is, it, it, it really reads like um, the National Enquirer, which I love. Uh, who actually wrote about me? I, I, but there, you, you have, you know, um, you have to communicate to your prospects in a way that's 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 similar to the conversation already going on in their mind. Yeah. To quote Robert Collier, so, and this doesn't, and if it did, it doesn't anymore. You know, I mean, there. You know, the the whole world has gone a little crazy, but particularly Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. I said about a year, year and a half ago that we've we've gone through the looking glass and we ain't coming back. And so you, you have to deal with you have to deal with be in touch with the market the way it is right now, not the way you think it should be or the way it used to be. That I mean, that, that's 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 a key thing. So, you know. As far as the podcast, same thing. I mean, um, a, a lot of people have been wondering about Facebook ads. And I had a client who, you know, allowed me to bring him on, who I think did a better job than I'll ever be able to do because he's been doing it successfully, profitably for a lot of, you know, large companies that are selling things similar to. Um, the the people on my podcast and probably the people on your podcast who have smaller businesses, you know, info products, inspirational stuff, how-to stuff, specialized um, health stuff, you know, alternative health, and and so you know we we brought him on and I I have one client a, a very curmudgeonly old guy very skeptical about everything and anything you know kind of like a, a typical agora subscriber and <laughs> no i mean that's, that's who they just that's that literal. is that that is their market that is their market though and 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 they're proud of it and i'm proud of them and you know uh, they even have a name for him the name is bob and this this guy's not named bob but but anyway this guy couldn't stop raving about that because it turned on some lights for him about Facebook advertising that, you know, he, he just had no clue about, but I had no clue about it either. So, you know, I, I do most of the podcasts myself because my strength is taking the complex mysteries, the black arts of copywriting that actually makes money and explaining it in a, you know, pseudo rational kind of way. But certainly in a in a straightforward way that people can understand and accept and implement, uh, I wouldn't try to do that if I didn't know. But I would find someone who does, and I would tease it out of them. That's basically the best way to do it. But something you just said that that I think is just key for everyone listening, not just for like copywriting, but for every facet of life, 
is the oh god what was the quote you just said uh, this is the thing about my brain is that I'll, I'll remember something like that's great and then I'll just it'll, it'll store it there for like six hours and I'll think about it and it'll come back to me yeah same here <laughs> I think that's like the best it's like podcast works, right you're, you're constantly gathering and then eventually you, you look at today's you know trash heap I mean today's um, today's <laughs> harvest trashy let's be honest it is what it is call it what it is but um i think it was just something to do with the fact about how people don't feel their emotions correctly and they keep them tightly balled up and something that halbert said and something you've said and something everyone has said since the dawn of time to understand sales sell to the emotion not to the logic right because yeah fair enough use logical use logical arguments in there for sure to actually prop up your uh proposition but make sure it's emotionally laden because if it isn't, then you're just screwing yourself up. And well, here, here's an easy way to understand that. You know, in order to buy something, you know, I I have never heard of a person in a straitjacket or a, a quadriplegic who's totally paralyzed being able to buy something on their own. No, no offense to the, the, those two, you know, highly esteemed sub sub markets, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can even say that with a straight face <laughs> I tried but <laughs> isn't that what should we write on your tombstone just like I tried yeah, I so but for everyone else in order to buy something what's what's the typical way people buy something online right at at the very least they have uh, their credit card <laughs> "Quote unquote," securely stored in in their browser, right? Um, so they will at least have to type a few things or or use their mouse to click on. Yeah, just buy it with that credit card. Um, that requires some physical. I'm going to spell it M O T I O N motion, motion, and to instigate motion, you need emotion. Yep. Yeah, and and that's why, but. <laughs> But you're you're absolutely right. A lot of people keep them locked up, which means they can't identify them, and which means if you point the emotion out to them and say, "Oh no, it's not really that bad," or "Oh no, I don't want it that much," or "Oh no, I'm I'm not willing to you know risk my marriage and my entire net worth for five minutes of pleasure with that one," but they would actually they do. And it happens, right? Uh, divorce lawyers. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the really? number one thing. That's a, that, that's a whole industry that kind of runs on that. It's the idea that my partner cheated on me with someone. Now, something I am actually going to jump into right now, which is very, very, not strange, but something that's actually uh, that you brought up was um, it, it's a quote from the movie uh, Boiler Room, which, you know, stupidly, oh, yeah. stupidly underrated movie. Oh, like, great movie. Great, great movie. movie. I, I when I was, because uh, one of the, so, David and I had a little conversation beforehand because, you know, obviously I had to fanboy all over him uh, for a couple of minutes before I got him on the show because otherwise yes. I'd be fanboying the entire time. It's, that wouldn't be a good look for me at all. But <laughs> that all being said, uh, one thing I didn't actually mention was when I was starting my career, one of the things I listened to was uh, Halbert saying that if you really want to get good at selling, do door-to-door sales. Yep. So... Uh, 19 years old, really broke kid, getting his ass into debt. And one of the first things I did, I started knocking on doors, uh, selling gas and uh, electricity, you know, like a, a, a change suppliers. Yeah. And um, one of the things I remember my, 
like, I loved the movie Boiler Room when I was younger, but I watched it again, and we used to watch this. Like, me, the managing director of the company, and two of his top sales guys, we found that we loved this, so we were, we were in the... It was a snowstorm. We're the only ones that came to work. He said, we're not going out in the field today. Uh, make it a movie training day today. I was like, okay. So we ended up watching Boiler Room. And something he paused on that always has stayed with me. If you want to create, if you want to create emotion, start walking around. Walk around when you speak. Walk around when you type. Walk around when you're recording stuff because motion creates emotion. Same as thing. It goes the other way. Emotion creates motion. So you have it going both ways. A parable. It's a very powerful thing. That that's great. Um. I, I don't remember that from the movie, but um, I love it. And uh, boy, it's it's a it's a really good lesson for me because usually when I'm thinking, I'm very still. Um, I mean, I I can I can get extraordinarily still. I, I I took this unusual self study course that I I learned about from a client. It was called the master key system it's available online for free it's it's sort of like a and it's panel oh. yeah yeah dude that book. oh Hanley. okay just a real quick just to interrupt your story for a second that book for everyone listening pick it up because that book has been coming up literally at least once a week for me since january so if that's yeah. that's free and, shit right and there. I, I have not received any compensation from well it's free anyway there's no <laughs> publisher but um, what one of the first exercises was to just sit in a chair without moving I mean your mind could go all over the place but your body had to stay still and this is a series of exercises to teach you to use your mind to control your mind and I guess ultimately control the world, create iPhones or get electric president or whatever <laughs> other reality distortion field you want. Um, well, I, I, I haven't gotten to the reality distortion or maybe I have and I don't know it, but I, I've, what I found was, was very surprising is it was no problem for me to sit in a chair and do nothing. Now today that might be different because I'm, you know, so much more used to interruptions, Facebook texts, um, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but uh, at the time it, it wasn't. I think that's that's hard for a lot of people. And yet I find when I'm really still and when I just sort of make my mind a blank state, some of my best creative ideas come. Of course, after, you know, feeding a lot of stuff, you know, adding to that treasure trove slash trash heap that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a powerful place to actually go and do that because uh, very similarly, the, the thing I started doing after I read the Master Key System in January this year was... Um, so let me... I'm going to propose a really daft question to you, but you know how they say that... Uh, smartphones record everything that you're doing and mm -hmm. you know someone always stream through some filters how many hours of that do you reckon someone's just they have to listen to someone taking a really long shit <laughs> because um, well if, if you think about it um it's not continuous sound i mean there's this grunting and groaning and you know maybe the actual excretion portions but a lot of it is is the, is the it's just what do you call <laughs> so to speak yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah um and i think i think they have machines to do that 
Yeah, I still. I see. I'm just gonna let my brain still have this uh, fancy my I'll, brain that can, some, some can guys I, listen can to. I, me take you know, I grew up around the CIA. Literally, I mean, I remember once when I was, um, you know, 14 and in, in high school or junior high school, I got locked out of my house and I went across the street, knocked on the door, and Mr. Khan. That was literally his name, Mr. Khan. Mr. Khan uh, was there. I said, "Do you have a key to our house?" He said. Uh, no, why? So I got locked out. I left my key at home. He said, I think I can fix it. And he brings this little toolkit in it, just like in the movies, fucking opens the door. <laughs> and I was surrounded by, you know, like, the, the, the chief Watergate burglar, James J. McCord, lived like three blocks. So, anyway, what I'm saying is when I go into the bathroom, the phone stays in the living room. Oh yeah, no, that's that's actually what I was about to say. It was ever since then, I just leave my phone in the living room, I yeah. go to the bathroom, and you know, it, this this is uh, I should really just open a segment called Toilet Humor, really, just for for this exact reason. But yeah. um, Trevor Crook, he he has this infamous photo of me just sitting on the toilet seat with uh, the Gary Halbert letters, like the Boron letters, just reading them. It was just a really weird photo. We thought it would be hilarious to take. Um, but what he said to me was, that is the one place I get all my great ideas is in, is in the bathroom. No idea why. I think it's either in the shower or when you're taking a shit, your brain is completely switched off and that's when the ideas come. Yeah. It's funny. I don't, I usually get them when I'm outside smoking a cigarette or smoking some legal California marijuana. Yep. You guys now can do that so jealous <laughs> yeah i know well you know it'll happen in in london right you're in london or somewhere yep. in no, no i'm in i'm in london yeah it it'll it'll happen and besides for many years in many places you could get it without it being legal oh yeah of course but the only thing is knowing my luck dude i've got enough going against me i'm brown my name's adult and seriously do you not think i'm on a government watch list at some point in my life <laughs> <laughs> and well, the, fa the fact I, is, well, I yeah. Used, well, I used to be a stand-up comedian. I swear to God, like that was the thing that probably put me on the map was the fact that I was making jokes about looking like a goddamn terrorist, and when my hair was really long, I used to make jokes. I looked like a hipster Jesus. That well, killed. <laughs> I mean, the those guys, the 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 whole security community. I actually have great respect for them, but they they have some like huge blind spots i have a friend it's a you know marine you can't say former marine in the u.s because they're always marines he always gets on terrorist watch lists he is the least now his ideas are explosive but he is the least terrorist person i can imagine you know he just wouldn't do it he's he's a kind kind and wise person but so yeah, you're you're probably on it too. I I I'm not for some reason. I they'll they'll give me they'll put me in the short line. I think it's because they know I hate flying so much. They want to get me on the plane faster. Pretty much, yeah. it's like that'll be it, his it, torture. It, it's it's a matter of revenge, you know. I mean, I think that's probably the basis of all life. I mean, you know, people have a chance to get even. They'll do it. Oh, of course they will. It's always the best. Plus, I also have to admire you and give you a little uh, applause for the fact that you used the pun explosive when talking about a watch list. We'll ah! You know, this is this is actually a problem um, for me, not for you, hopefully. Uh, my unconscious mind comes up with puns all the time. I don't even realize I'm saying them until 
later. And sometimes it's a little awkward when you're trying to have a serious conversation with someone, or especially when someone's in pain and you come up with, you know, the worst crass um, pun that's possible and you didn't even mean to. It, trying no. to be kind, understanding, compassionate, empath- empathic, empathetic, you know. See, you come up like an asshole. <laughs> David, let's be honest. You're an asshole if you're a writer. It's basically what we were bred to do. We have to have a certain layer of assholishness to our, to our presence. Oh, it's, definitely. It's what but, makes us endearing. You, <laughs> you, you'd like to be able to control it a little more is all I'm saying. I, yeah, I no, agree. I agree, no I agree with that entirely. So something I did want to ask you was, uh, did you watch the post, um, the Meryl Street? I haven't yet. I haven't. Uh, well, as a journalist, you might actually enjoy it. I mean, a former journalist, you might enjoy it because I loved it. And not a journalist at all, but like, um, I watched it. The acting was really, really well done. It was a little bit on the long side, but I did really enjoy the whole thing, you know, like from a, from an outsider's perspective, looking in and yeah. seeing what they went through. And it's very, very apt considering, you know, now the Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos, of all people. Um, yes, or as, as our illustrious and extremely literate president says the amazon washington post that was a really good impression (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's funny i'm not usually that good at them it it just sort of came out but i met with somebody who um, told me he has tourettes i mean mostly you know when someone has tourettes you expect them to say fuck shit fuck shit fuck shit i didn't mean that but the, this guy, he, he speaks cleanly, but he says because he has Tourette's, he's incredibly good at mimicking people. Did you ever hear that before? I've never heard that before, um, ever. I know that my whole messed up like mimicry is just because I like making fun of people, so learning their voice and making fun of them make, works wonders for writing copy, by the way. It it does, and, you know, I've <clears throat> I've I've taken a... I've resumed a journey that I put on pause uh, basically 45 years ago. Male model? I, I'm, an old, I'm an old fucker. <laughs> no, but that's an interesting idea. That I'm starting to work out, so <laughs> I'm sure. It's like, have you seen Dave, the world's oldest porn star? And, uh, one of my clients has him on a VSL. And it's not me, but, you know, uh, I mean, he might need a stand in a body double someday, right? Um but no, this is music. And what I found is, okay, so mm, there's there's a guy named Harold Bloom who ended up being a PR guy for rock and roll bands and and just, you know, blew everybody else away. And I, I saw him interviewed with Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you like Jordan, but I, I love, love Jordan. I love Jordan Peterson. That dude is hella smart. Yeah. Yeah, he he is. I I wrote him a personal email. I said, I studied psychology in college 40 years ago. Where were you then? You know, Mm -hmm. but he didn't respond. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I I guess the answer is, well, I was up in Fairview, Canada, and I was playing with uh, little toy soldiers. But anyway, um, Oh, so I've I've taken up music again, and what I found. Oh, so Harold Bloom, when Jordan Peterson was interviewing him, said that ninety to ninety-five percent of songs are about love or sex. Yep. And you know, I'm I'm okay with love, and I really do enjoy sex, but I don't want to fucking write about them or sing about them. 
So what I've done is I've come up with a bunch of satirical songs. Yeah, I've been uh, watching them on Facebook. <laughs> well, I only put one of them up there, right? So far. Really? So, yeah, and, yeah. Um, uh, for and and this all came out of <laughs> having prostate surgery a year ago. That was fun. Um, I, I did not have <laughs> prostate cancer. I just had a you know very large, like super large prostate, and it was starting to cause plumbing problems. So I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So um, after the surgery, I I ended up writing a song um, about it, uh, you know, not too originally titled You're in Trouble, right? And and I asked my girlfriend to record me um, singing it and playing guitar, and I showed it to my surgeon when I had a follow-up visit. And he laughed, and he looked at me very – and the guy looks just like Steven Spielberg. I kid you not. He's like – Seriously, he does. And and he said, David, we're having the, our centennial. And I said, centennial? He said, well, yeah, the centennial of the urology department. And, okay. And he said, and if you'd like to write a couple more songs and come sing them. And I thought about that. And, you know, it would be too much trouble, too much work to practice to get to the point. I don't have stage fright, but I do when I'm not prepared or when I don't feel I'm sufficiently experienced. So I told him, no, he said, well, would you record them? And long series of things happened. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm working with a guy who loves to teach other people production, who has worked with Herbie Hancock and Carlos Santana and Pat Metheny and, um, you know, really experienced guy and he spent 19 years in New York as a producer and he apprenticed with all these guys. And so I came up, I was actually going to do an album called so songs in the key of P, but, um, decided, no, that, that's, that's not it. So I'm, I'm holding those songs <laughs> get it. That's a fun holding <laughs> the song about P and, um, <laughs> But what I, what I, okay, here's my point. My point is I realized, you know, in terms of making fun of people, I'm, I'm a sit down comedian who puts his words to music when it comes to music with copywriting and teaching. It's that sort of like a calling. I'm a little more serious about that, but although I do want to keep it entertaining, but with music, it's like, I want to write funny songs. I know funny songs don't sell for the most part. People, yeah, there is always an exception there, you know, Alan Sherman from before you were born, but no, I mean, for the most part, they don't, um, but maybe they will, maybe, maybe mine will, you know, maybe mine won't. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. That's always an interesting thing. And I, I, I hope all the best for you on those, uh, especially, but I was going to say someone that's quite new, that's doing quite well with comedic songs, Mm. Uh, completely different genre because he doesn't sing them. He he uses hip hop and rap. Is a guy called Lil Dicky, and I just love him. Oh, just, just the name is funny, right? Oh my god, he is hilarious. Uh, something. What's really funny about him is his story. Just very quickly for people that don't know, including you know, just giving you a quick heads up on this. Uh, his name is Dave as well. His name's David, nah. and he's <laughs> and yeah, he's from uh, Philadelphia. He went to school and. Um, <laughs> He, he jokes about it because he's Jewish, but he makes, he makes so many puns about it. He's just like, look, I was a Jewish kid growing up here, and um, I ended up in 
in the accountancy firm in it, somewhere in California, I can't remember where, and they were doing the NBA big, uh, you know, tournament thingy. They, they, they hired this advertising agency. Um, and when he was doing his accounts, the yearly accounts, when they got the, when they got the contract from, and from, uh, the NBA, mm-hmm. he basically made his entire presentation so funny that the, uh, advertising team took notice and asked him to come right. So he came in, took the NBA big thing, you know, he became an advertiser for them. That was a great thing, but he realized his passion was comedy and music. So he started making songs for free on YouTube and then started like producing his own and they're just brilliant because there's like a song that he did uh recently called pillow talking which Mm -hmm. is which in all honesty sounds like a real story it's like i invited this girl back to my place we hooked up turns out she doesn't believe in aliens and is really christian (laughs) and um like all this he's just like because the whole story just starts off he's like so what does your brother do and she's like my brother's in the army and he's like oh well i've got a question do they um do, do, are they prepared for like when the aliens attack and stuff or are they just gonna be like holy shit they're attacking us and just conquer us so quickly and she's like i have no fucking clue what are you on about and this whole song is just brilliant and then it goes from that to talking about how she's a vegetarian and doesn't like the fact that he eats meat <laughs> and um mm-hmm. and it just ends with them just parting ways and his brain is like a side character as well in this uh that it's it's, it's just listen to it. it's called pillow talking um by Lil Dicky and it's about 10 minutes long but it is such a funny song. I mean all his songs are like really funny anyway because they're very well uh constructed for humor and delivery. But well, I'm going to definitely check it out but you know I was writing a headline uh as you were telling me this story, can I share it with you? Oh, please do. <laughs> From accounting to advertising to Jewish hip hop. <laughs> He could kill off that. That would be a really, really, really good headline. Uh, at, at at least for uh, a piercing magazine profile. Oh yeah. Maybe, may, oh. maybe to maybe to sell. Yeah, I mean, new album. You know, the the world is so full of experts these days. Maybe he could actually, you know, do an online or or a seminar on on how to how to become a hip hop star, no matter what kind of asshole you are. Right? Pretty much. I think that'd be the best line ever. Be a hip hop star, no matter what kind of asshole you are, make it rhyme and you're fine. It's <laughs> two, right. two, just two to go there. Really, really interestingly. So I guess like we're heading up to like my favorite part of the show, which um, unfortunately it's one of those things where we're kind of hitting that point where I was like, I really don't want to stop talking to David, but I know that he's got a busy day ahead of him. So my favorite question really is um, when, in your career, you were like completely, you know, something happened, your confidence was rocked and a mailing, a piece of copy that you wrote just didn't fly because some in, some self-entitled asshole decided to think that they're not going to run it and they're going to basically screw you over financially as well at the same time. Um, when that situation happened to you, clearly not talking about something that I was going through at all. Let's just, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's clearly not. Right. Nice. I understand that. No, but when you actually had your confidence completely knocked out of you, uh, the wind knocked out of your sails, how and what did you do to get yourself back up? Like, what was the thing that drove you to get back up and keep going? That's that's a good question. Um, I do have a moment like that, but it was actually before I started writing copy. Um, 
it was 92, 93. I, I left this, you know, illustrious job as San Francisco bureau chief for McGraw Hill world news. If they knew what the real work was, most people wouldn't think it was that impressive, but, um, the, the title was great, but so I'd, I'd been off freelancing and all of my assumptions from, I mean, this tells me how little reporters really know all of my assumptions from my perch, you know, as like a, a small tentacle or, or suction pod, on a tentacle from a large media organization, uh, sort of got shattered slowly, methodically over time as to how things actually worked in the world outside the media globe. But, you know, um, 92, 93, I was broke. Um, I was in debt, so that's more than broke, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I, I, I had no idea how to make money. Um, it got to the point where my family wouldn't take my call because they know I'd just be asking for a loan or something. And I, I just had no clue what to do. And, um, I mean, I really didn't this, you know, I was at the point where I've been, you know, inordinately successful, um, you know, with my last job or so I thought. And so the rest of the world told me and, um, you know, I mean, to me, um, direct response copywriting, what I learned, especially from Gary Halbert, but also from Dan Kennedy at the time, and then putting it to use and seeing it work, um, it was, it, I mean, it took me a while to get right side up financially, you know, uh, because even if you can produce great results, if you're coming from a place of, you know, scrambling to pay the rent or, or get the next meal, you're not going to have the confidence that you need to exude for people to open up the safe, take out the big shovel and start shoveling large amounts of money uh, to you so that you can pat them on the head and say, that was a really good job you did. Um, not that anybody does that for me, you understand. But yeah. uh, um, it, it, you know, in comparison you know, as, as hard as the, as the work could be now, it's, it's nothing like it was then. I mean, I, I know how to focus and put a lot more effort into it, but at the time I was just trying to, you know, stay alive, um, stay in, in, in the house I was renting and, um, you know, uh, keep the IRS and, and the bill collectors from closing in on me. And so it was, it was the hope that there was a way out of this and um, that there was something that I could do, you know, and, and this is what, uh, 93. So that's like 25 years ago, I guess. Right. Damn. Uh, uh, but, but man, I mean, those are really dark, discouraging sort of, I mean, I, you know, I really was terrorized by my, my own situation. You know, I, I think that's always what it is. Um, for a people or for a person that when there's hope, when there's a clear, believable hope and that you can actually not only have a vision, but see a path to get there. That's what changes things. That's amazing. I love that. I love that. It usually does just change of perspective usually tends to help out a lot. Um, and my favorite question of course is, uh, yeah, I'm going to ask this question I'm gonna, and then I'm going to do something afterwards. But I was going to say, so my favorite question is um, if you were to give three pieces of advice to anyone listening right now, whether they're in 
a struggling hole in business, whether they're plateauing or whether they're just starting their career or whatever it is, what three pieces of advice would you give them that's a universal application for them? Well, I mean, the first one is to learn copywriting, whether you're ever going to write a word of your own advertising or not, because um, if, if you're not going to write it, then at least you're going to be speaking, you're going to be giving sales pitches, or at least you're going to be hiring someone or partnering with someone to write it for you. And if you understand what's going on, you'll feel like you have more control and you may be able to contribute some good ideas. So, you know, learn copywriting by my book, by scientific advertising, by something, get, get started, try it out. Um, you, some people really have no talent for it. It doesn't matter. Just understand it. Uh, the, the second thing I would say is something I've been quoting Gary Halbert and saying, but try as I might, I can't find out where he said it, but I can remember seeing it on a page. And that is when all else fails, give people what they want. Uh, you know, so many people struggle in business because they're trying to sell something. They're sure people should buy and you know, in, in the world of ideals and possibilities and, and moral certainties and all of the rest, great. In, in the real world, people want what they want and that's what they spend money for. Now, sometimes they buy what they need. I mean, you know, if, if you, you might not like, you might not want a Band-Aid, but if you cut your finger, you might need a Band-Aid and you might buy a Band-Aid. So, uh, but, but forgetting that for a second, most purchases are made based on what people want. So find out what it is. And third piece of advice I'd, I'd give to anyone. Um, okay. This, this comes from a, um, you know, one of those, um, I'm an idiot. So I want to make the world safe for idiots type of Facebook posts. <laughs> Have you ever seen any of those? Ever? Plenty. I think yeah. I've written a few of them myself. <laughs> yeah, me too. And so the question was, what's more important, street smarts or book smarts? Street, you know, learning from the street or learning from books. And it's real easy to find books and people who write books and people who recommend books who have absolutely no value in in the actual real world you know and and so it's easy to dismiss all books based on those people and that's stupid that's you know that's really cutting off your nose to spite your face yeah street knowledge is crucial it's important but the most successful people read and you know the most successful marketers okay so i've read scientific advertising about 15 times I heard Jay 20 years ago, Jay Abraham, say he's read it 50 times. Now, he's not a slow learner. You know, he's, he's not, it's not hard for him to grasp this. There are reasons people read this stuff. There are, and there are a lot of books that aren't worth, you know, the paper they're printed on. But yeah. there are some books. And so, it's, so the third piece of advice is find out what those books are and read them. Yeah, no, I would I would agree. And I think you have a reading list that every copywriter should read on your podcast. I think it's a two part. It's absolutely amazing. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Go listen to it. 
copywriterspodcast.com. I think it's episodes 42 and 43. And if if you don't even want to listen to it, the books are all in the show notes on that website. But of course you should listen to it. I mean, think about how much you've already enjoyed listening to my voice. You know, it's a sexy voice. I'm going to give you that for sure. Well, thanks, big guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. And, and so, um, yeah, um, I mean, you know, I, I think, by the way, I'm as much as I like books, and if you looked around my home, there's more books than any other unit of, of any other thing, even those, you know, legal um, California marijuana products. No, there's a lot more books. Um, most books are not worth the paper they're printed on, you know. So you need you need to be real selective. I mean, when you're first starting out, sometimes anything will do. You know, it's it's sort of like the moving around creates emotion. But you you want to be somewhat selective. You want to, you know, look at reading lists or you know look at my list or maybe you have a list or yep. a group of books you could recommend to people, right? So, but nevertheless, very worthwhile doing. Uh, you know, whether you believe in formal education or not. I mean, look, what we all say as copywriters is, you know, MBAs are, you know, it's it's actually, you know, people should get a disabled license plate if they have an MBA. Um, and I have a, a few clients who have MBAs and, you know, two of them have told me they've had to unlearn most of what they've learned to be an entrepreneur, to be a marketer. Um and so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for counterexamples, you know, I'm looking for them. Yeah. I'm eager to find them. I'm eager to find out about them. You'll find them rally. And, uh, when you do, please let me know. Cause that'd be awesome. But guys listening, please re-listen to this episode a couple of times. It's just chock full of great stories and great advice that you want to pick up. Check out copywriterspodcast.com and also, uh, garfinkelcoaching.com. Um, David's just an excellent person overall and, and freaking honored just to have him on the show. So, David, thanks again for actually taking the time to do the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You said it would be a lot like a Joe Rogan podcast, and damn if it wasn't. It was. <laughs> Thank it you was very great. much. I appreciate it. Yeah. The only thing I don't have is being in California and this being on video and both of us getting high, but, you know, that's that's a whole different kettle of fish. We have time for that when I can fly out to California. Right. That that's like phase two. That that will be like your upgrade, your next you know, when you level up, that's how you level up, right? <laughs> get, get, how did you up level adult? Well, I took a whole nother I took a whole nother stance there. But uh David, thanks again for doing this. Guys, check out the sites as you said as always, and please go ahead and rate, uh, comment and share this uh, and subscribe as well this on this podcast as it helps out the show and, uh, you know, Apple helps us out as well. Take care, guys, and see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you.